Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Update the poll results, McLovin, then we'll bring in the popular Chris Sims from Pro Football Talk Live. If you were J.J. Watt, would you rather sign for $15 million for a good team, like a playoff team like the Titans, or $7.5 million for a Super Bowl contender like the Chiefs or Bucks? Well, how about you put it in parentheses, $15 million, Titans, Bills, Packers, $7.5 million, Chiefs, and the Buccaneers. Okay, Packers are on that Bills-Titans line, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so far the early results are 83% say they'd take the um, $7.5 million. Okay, yes, Paul. The Chiefs are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Buccaneers are right next to them. Then it drops a tier to Packers, Bills, Rams, Niners. Then it drops another tier to Ravens, Browns, Saints, Seahawks, Colts, Pittsburgh Steelers, Miami Dolphins. The Tennessee Titans are 12th Ooh. in odds to win the Super Bowl as of right now. But J.J. has a relationship with Mike Vrabel, and would he want to stay in in that division in the AFC South? But let's bring in Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live. Where where do you stand on that question, Chris? Well, as far as the AFC South's concerned, and good to see you, or uh, good to see you, Dan. But uh, I, you know, I don't think he'll have an issue with that. I mean, the Titans still have so many things to like about their football team. And of course, you know, defensive line, lack of pass rushers, disruptors, secondary, the defense needs to be improved there. You know, J.J. Watt fits into any scheme. He can do 4-3-3-4. I think that's why you see so many teams interested in him. And yeah, that history between Mike Vrabel, there, there is certainly something there to it. And really, the way Houston has run their organization here the last few years, I'm not so sure J.J. wouldn't like going to play Tennessee and sticking it to them here, you know. Uh, you oh, you know, mean the Texans? 
I mean the Texans. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if you wouldn't mind sticking it to them and just going, "Hey, you know, here I am. I'm with a winner. Eat that." But I wonder if you know. We always say, oh, "Well, it's not always about money." It always feels like it's about money. JJ Watts made 100 million dollars in his career. Right. How important is winning? And and if I, that's the case, why not go to? The, why not say to the Kansas City Chiefs, "Hey, whatever you want to pay me, I'm coming there. We're winning a championship." I, I agreed. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, Green Bay up there, they could use guys. They, they have, they still have deficiencies as far as their interior part of their defensive line. And uh, at this point of his career, you you kind of said it right, Dan. He's got a ton of money. You know, I don't think that should be, or at least if I was in his situation, wouldn't be the make or break point to me. It'd be, hey, pay me something respectful, you know, respectful, and. You know, I'll try to add to your team. You know, J.J. Watt's still a really good player, but we know he has had a little bit of injury history over the last few years, and his production has fallen off. I mean, for the sack master he was, you know, I think he's had 26 and a half sacks or somewhere there, somewhere yeah. around there over the last five years. So he's not the same guy he was, but I certainly do think he brings value to a team. I can't imagine a team paying him $15, $16 million a year at this point. I'm not sure if I believe those reports yet. I, I'd have to hear something a little more substantial to believe that one. When do you buy into a mock draft or mock drafts? Um. Not right yet. I know that. But, I, I but think, like, at what point in the process do you go, that might be a little truer representation of what teams are going to do? I would say when you get to the, those last two or three weeks before the draft, there's just too many unknowns right now. You know, one, uh, and no disrespect, but there's so many media outlets. Uh, there, there's a lot of people who, you know, are, are not the best evaluators or qualified to do that. Uh, so I want to be like, okay, well, I mean, you, you don't know. And, and then, then the other thing I think that's, that's into this and, and the teams don't know yet. They're really, the teams are just starting to dive into the draft themselves here. It's been free agency, figuring out our own team. What do we need? How are we going to balance the salary cap and all of those things too? So that of course, once they start to figure out the draft, it filters out to the people I do respect in the business. You know, the Danielle Jeremiah's and those guys, they start to get a feel for what they're hearing from teams. And then those are that that's the time when I start to go, oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll pay attention to that mock draft. Ooh, there's some logic there. I know he knows this team. So there's something there to that. And that's when I start to really pay attention. But you get this, this guy's rising, this guy's falling. Well, they haven't played a game in months and right. it feels like, we're getting to the point when the you know the coaches or the GMs or the scouts are able to be get a better handle on assessing just how good these players are. Like Mac Jones at Alabama. All right. of a sudden, Mac Jones is moving up. Like, what did Mac Jones do or not do that makes him you know rise up in the first round? Well, I think that I think like kind of what I just said is there's too many, and and again, I'm not. There's just too many unqualified people making qualifying statements at times here. And just, oh, yeah, Mac Jones, end of the first round. I've, I've said it every day this week. I said it on my podcast. Mac Jones, from, and I'm early here, Dan. I've just started. I really only looked at, like, good throws of these quarterbacks. I'm about to dive in here. Mac Jones is a better prospect than Tua. 
Mac Jones is going to go in the top 10 from just what I've seen right now. I'd be shocked. I think there's going to be four probably in the top eight. Just to, just a base comment right now, and you can have me on in a few weeks, and I'll really get into the nitty-gritty with these quarterbacks and give you a great breakdown and all those type of things. But um, I think that's what it is, and I think what you're hearing rising is what we just talked about too. Now some of the people in the media are talking to people in the NFL who have just started to turn on the film, and they're going – this Mac Jones guy, all he does is throw spirals, perfect throws, NFL-type throws. He can change his arm angle and do those type of things. And I think that's why you're kind of hearing that that chatter right now. Yeah, but he was throwing to guys who were – I mean, I know. when's the last time a franchise, you know, a, a team had four first-round draft picks over the you know a two-year period? And that's well, I, what you're going to have I, with Alabama. I, I get you. I, I know. You know, it, it's, it's – uh, Hey, you know me. I was not a huge Tua guy last year by any stretch of the imagination. I was all Joe Burrow and Herbert. I thought they were special. You know, I made a lot of statements that Herbert, I thought, had the higher ceiling than Joe Burrow in the draft and those type of things. It's, hey, Trevor Lawrence got talent around him, too, in Clemson. I think when it goes down to it, it's about, okay, you know, what was available? What was there to be had? Did he take advantage of all that was there to be had? You've heard me say this before. When there's nothing there to be had, what happens? And then can I see NFL-type throws that I think translate, you know, from college to the NFL? And that was my, you know, my, my hesitation with Tua last year. But I saw enough just in the little clips I've seen and just TV scouting during the year where – pockets collapsing, things aren't perfect, and he can still make a high-level throw to where I went, ooh, I like that about him. Yes, you're going to have to take into account those type of things, the talent around him and all of that. And, of course, Waddle, uh, who was hurt most of the year, yeah, he's going to be you know, a, a top-20 pick, and Devontae Smith's going to be a top-20 pick too. Like These two receivers he had to play with this year I think are better than Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. I'll just say that right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so he certainly had help, but that's part of evaluating and you just got to take you know the best of what you can and see does that translate to, to NFL football life he's Chris Sims pro football talk live um, Mike Florio said yesterday doesn't think Deshaun Watson gets traded Ooh, um, I'm not so sure I'm ready to go down that that lane yet I'm not I, I have um, pretty good info that Deshaun Watson is not afraid to sit out the year uh, I really do I've heard that from people I really trust and in league circles. But also, Chris, and I want to be fair to Florio. Sure. You know, he said, look, they may be saying, hey, yeah. we're not taking offers while they are taking offers. But doesn't it make the most sense for the Texans to say what Detroit did with Matthew Stafford? We're open for business because teams are going to start signing up free agents. They're going to get ready for the draft. And then all of a sudden, I limit the pool of resources of teams that might be giving you a true treasure trove for Deshaun Watson. I, I don't understand, you know, the timing of it is curious. I, I don't either. And, and listen, I'm not trying to, you know, push back on Mike. I mean, Mike's got a great feel for the league. He knows people. Everything I know, and this is why he said it, and I think he's heard that we've heard the same things because we've talked about this on our show. The Texans aren't, they're not open for business. Like, uh, I know some of these teams that are interested in Deshaun Watson, and they've they've, you know, led me to believe that, that they don't think the Texans are doing anything right now. I'm more of what you're saying. I would go, 
what? Like, let's get Denver and the Carolina Panthers and the Miami Dolphins, you know, into a bidding war here so we can maximize what we get for Deshaun Watson. Because I, again, the, 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 the organization's dysfunctional down there. There's a lot of people and players on that team that don't want to be there, but they're not Deshaun Watson. He has the support from players on his team who have told him like, hey, go, we understand you want to get out of here. We get it. Uh, and it's always dangerous to bring that kind of player quarterback back into your locker room, as you know, when he's upset or doesn't like being there. You know, he's the leader of the team. He's going to start trashing coaches and the owner and the GM and things like that. And it's going to embolden the rest of the locker room and it's going to make things more dysfunctional. So that's where I think, you're, you know, to your point, I, I would start opening up business now and start getting those conversations going. Yesterday, I said I didn't understand what the Steelers were doing with Ben Roethlisberger. They're not winning a championship, another championship with him. You want to bring him back, farewell tour, that's one thing. But I think bringing him back, no matter what the salary is, it also will probably hamper you the following. Now, like, right, I, I got to get started here. Uh, yeah. You know, can you keep Bud Dupree? You got some younger players there now's the time to win and you might be the third best team in your own division and Ben might be the fourth best quarterback in his own division. So explain the logic of what the Steelers are doing and am I too critical on what they're, you know, keeping Ben Roethlisberger? No, I I think you make all the the right points. Um, You know, the one thing I'll say about Big Ben, and I do believe he was banged up, you know, the second half of the year. His arm is still good. It's not great anymore, but he can still hit the 20-yard out or the deep post 50 yards down the field with ease. So there is something there. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I'll say, you know, to, to, to what you're saying, because you said it, I mean, their defense is a Super Bowl defense. I would hope Big Ben, like you talked about with J.J. Watt, would just go, wait, this is, I want to play because I want to play, my legacy, all of those type of things, and would take – you know, a huge salary salary reduction. So maybe they can get a Bud Dupree back who's coming off an ACL tear too, where I think that might hurt his ability to get a big time, you know, contract on the market. And I think actually favors Pittsburgh to maybe get him back. But you said it. And then here's, you know, so they're a little stuck in between. One, show me the options that are better that they can get right now on, on their football team at the quarterback position. They're going to be in no man's land, I think, for the most part in the draft. Yeah. You know, as, at quarterback, at least for the first rounders there, I don't think they can do anything. The big thing they have to do is do their best to keep their defense intact. And a little bit of a disservice to Big Ben last year anyways. And some of this might have been his doing, right? We heard the rumors that he might have been, you know, run play was called and he got to the pass and all those type of things. But they got to get back to balanced football. You know, one thing I've talked about with them is they became predictable within their predictability. And I think I said that to you during the year. <laughs> we knew they were going to throw it every play. And then you're like, and they're going to throw every play five or six yards right here and right here and right here. And, that you know, he's not... Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or that at this point of his career, they need to get back to running the ball, protect him. And I would think like, look at what Tampa Bay did with Tom Brady. If you could run the ball and protect him, he's still going to be able to beat, uh, beat defenses with one-on-one matchups and his ability to throw the ball down the field. And I think that's probably where they came to this, this situation right now. Good to talk to you, Chris, and uh, we look forward to your deep dive into the quarterbacking position because I will say history's on your side with picking out who you think will be the most successful quarterback. Would you take Herbert over Burrow right now? 
Uh, yeah, I would. I definitely would. You know, or Herbert's Herbert's special, and of course, there's the injury related. I love Joe Burrow's year. I mean, he made a lot of chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? Yeah. Uh, but Herbert is just big athlete, incredible arm. I mean, incredible. I mean, it's it's Josh Allen, Mahomes. It might not have the flair and everything like that, but his ability to make throws and awkward positions or people around him are really good. And yeah, I think he's a superstar. I really do. Thank you, Chris. All right, buddy. Be good. Say out to the guys. That's Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk co-host with Mike Florio. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give me the poll question, then we'll get into the popular Nick Wright from Fox Sports First Things First. If you were J.J. Watt, would you rather sign for $15 million with a good team like the Titans or Bills or Packers or a title contender like the Bucks or the Chiefs for $7.5 million? 83% say the Bucks or the Chiefs. Okay. Let me start there with Nick Wright, Kansas City Chiefs apologist. Uh, could you see J.J. Watt maybe joining? Why I come on this show? What? It's unbelievable. Apologist. Is, at least you got my name right this time, Dan. Go ahead. You were going to ask me about J.J. Watt? Could you see him joining your Kansas City Chiefs to maybe help them win a Super Bowl? Yeah. I, listen, and as an added bonus for J.J., he could go from a fraudulent, awful barbecue city in Houston to the greatest barbecue city in America, <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and I, the, the upgrade of organizations and coaches from the Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby reign of terror in Houston – to the Brett Veach, Andy Reid, tightly run ship in Kansas City, it's just night and day. So for all those reasons, alongside, he would actually get to, you know, play in and win a Super Bowl. Those things would all be good for him. It's great to see you, by the way. It's great to see you, Nick. Uh, A couple things to talk to you about. I don't know if you agree with me. The Jazz, they have been the best team in the NBA, at least record-wise. May not be exciting, may not have household names. It's been impressive what they did. But the Lakers are clickbait. So... What is the headline today? The Lakers or the Jazz? But it's not because they're clickbait, but let me let me go to the Jazz first. I heard the beginning of the segment, but I didn't hear the very, very first words out of your mouth. It was odd to me. Why were you spending the open of this hour talking about the 2015 Atlanta Hawks? Or was it the 2018 <laughs> Toronto Raptors? I, I'm not sure. It sounded a lot like that. And this team... Listen, I'm not going to go out on the limb and say they're actually, you know, going to be good in the playoffs. But man, oh man, have you seen Jordan Jordan Clarkson's true shooting percentage? Because if you don't give them the respect, if you don't understand that Georges Nyang is going to be just a playoff sniper, well, you're not a sophisticated erudite basketball fan. We've seen this team before. Okay, we but know wait, what this wait, team are is. you yeah. not interested in the Jazz because they're not interesting? Or non-threatening? What's the? Well, I just there, there's a half dozen teams that, with a gun to your head, you would pick over them to win the title. Just like the 2015 Hawks. Remember the 2015 Hawks? They had their wins. entire team one Player of the Month. Do you know why that happened? Because it's like, well, we know none of them are that good, but they were 17 and 0, so we got to give it to them. We've seen this story before. It's a fun, nice, cute story, and I'm glad for the people of Utah that they get it. But this is not a. This is not a contender in any stretch of the imagination. Now, the Lakers, we've also seen this story before. Do you know what this Lakers team reminds me of? The first Lakers team LeBron was on. It's like LeBron and a bunch of okay pieces because when you don't have Anthony Davis and Schroeder, but more so Davis, that's what this team is. And so, yeah, like the, I don't actually think either is a huge deal because here's what we know about the Lakers. If Anthony Davis is not around for the playoffs, they can't win the title. But he's going to be around for the playoffs, so I'm not overly concerned with it. And LeBron is having every – go through his basketball reference game log. It's usually January, 
but he has it down two weeks shortly before the All-Star break. He's, that's what's going on with him right now, and his shot has you know failed him for the last month. It'll come back. Lakers will be fine. This load management with LeBron, um, what should be the approach by the Lakers? What should be the approach by LeBron? I have, listen, I am, I'm 36 years old, which makes me a millennial, but there are certain things about me that I feel like I am of your generation, which you were, you're the silent generation, right, Dan? I'm not sure which one, Uh, but uh, whichever one it is, the, which is, I have this controversial take for people my age, which is when healthy and available, you should go to work. LeBron's healthy, he's available, he should probably go to work. And LeBron is in this odd, almost singular spot as an athlete, which is we operate from the perspective of we have to criticize him. So what? So if LeBron was taking a lot of time off, do we think that would be like, you know what? Smart. Good job, LeBron. Petty play. Not overworking. No, he would be criticized for it. LeBron is now being criticized for playing every game. Now, do I think guys in an 82-game season, it's smart to play all 82? Probably not. And LeBron's only done that in the later part of his career one time, his last year with the Cavs. But I also think the league was, Dan, three years ago in a very dangerous spot with the load management. Do you remember the nationally televised Spurs-Warriors game? Both teams were like on pace for 65 wins and nobody played. Kawhi didn't play, KD didn't play, Steph didn't play, Clay didn't play, and it was becoming a trend. And I think LeBron is helping stop that because while guys will still rest on some back-to-backs, if LeBron jumped on the Kawhi Leonard from last year load management plan, then it would become even more accepted, and that'd be terrible for the business of basketball. So I think LeBron has a responsibility to his teammates and a bigger responsibility to the league to kind of remind guys, hey, I'm the oldest guy out here. I've played more minutes than everybody. I'm available. Let's try to be more available to our fans and to our teammates. It almost seems like he's doing it on purpose to deliver this message. Like, hey, I'm old school, and I agree with you. You show up for work. I mean, my generation, which is a lot older than yours, we just showed up for work. We didn't get a pat on the back. You just went to work. LeBron is going to work, but is it smart? Because the his goal is to win a championship and yep. be an MVP in that order. Uh, is it smart on his part to be showing up and playing every night? I think it is for him specifically because he has shown – he and Carl Malone are the only guys in league history – that I think we can say they their body just seems to handle wear and tear differently than everyone else ever. I mean, he slipped on a wet spot on Christmas Day, his first year with the Lakers and tore his groin. Aside from that, he's been indestructible. And so I, I've never once watched a playoff series with LeBron and been like, you know what? He looks tired. He plays more minutes and he looks fine. So I do think for certain guys, there is an element of, you need to be peaking at the end of the year. But the other thing, and I would I have this question for you, Dan, some of it seems like pseudoscience and guesswork. Because what what happened with Paul George a few days ago? Embarrassing. It was like it's it's like, okay, he's at 32 and a half minutes, not a second more. Do you know what it reminded me of? 35 years ago, 
Jordan, when he was coming off the foot injury, and I only remember it because it was in the last dance, he wanted to come back in the game in the last minute. Remember, he was arguing with the coach, and the t- doctors came down. They're like, no, 18 minutes maximum. I'm like, really? With this is the, it, our science is like is like our train system. It, it, how did you move coal a hundred years ago? Put it on a train. We haven't improved that, and we're not improving this either. It's like ah, we guess an amount of minutes, and that's what it is. So I don't even. People are like, oh, you've got to listen to the science. But I think on the minute stuff, the science is guessing. I think it's just really guesswork, and I've never seen evidence otherwise. And in baseball, Dan, it, which I don't talk about a lot, but you do somewhat. It's Jeff Passan wrote a great book that since they have been more focused on pitch counts, like pitch arm injuries have gone up. So some of this, I just don't think we have mastered yet. And I think erring on the side of I'll play when I'm healthy is pretty smart. He's Nick Wright, co-host of First Things First on Fox Sports 1. Kyrie Irving had uh, something on Instagram where he said, maybe we change the logo from Jerry West to Kobe Bryant. Could you see the league? I know Jerry West would be fine with that because Jerry's embarrassed to be the logo. Um, And he brought Kobe into the league, brought him into the Lakers. Could you see where the league would sign off on Kobe replacing Jerry West as the logo? So a few things. One is I read, and I didn't read a full article about it, uh, but I did read yesterday that one of the reasons it has stayed Jerry West is they don't have to pay any royalties on that logo. And I think if you did it with Kobe or with anybody, LeBron's block on Iguodala, Michael Jordan, anything, all of a sudden you're going to have to pay a royalty on every – and that seems untenable. To go from $0 to even if it's just a small percentage, I just don't think that's realistic. I do think, though, if I'm going to touch a third rail here, that Kyrie – in his comment on the idea, like his second line, he did raise, to me, a valid point, which is the NBA is a black league. It is an overwhelmingly black league, and the success of the league has been built for the vast majority by black players, and it does seem a little anachronistic that we've got a white dude from 1962 as the logo, but I also think, think a lot of people don't even know that he's the logo. You know, you know what I know. What I think most fans probably don't know that that's an actual person that in that logo. Yeah, and you know, having spoke to Jerry West about this, you know, you can tell where I don't think they conferred with him. They basically just made him the logo, and then right. he didn't really acknowledge it for a long time. I mean, growing up, I I sort of knew it was Jerry because there was a picture that accompanied that logo picture, but Jerry is embarrassed almost. To, to bring that up. And, and I agree with you. I don't know if the NBA can go, hey, we're going to have Kobe as the logo. What's it going to cost us? Right. And But I don't know. I think Kyrie's on to something, but I don't know if, if, if he's on to something that will actually come to fruition. Well, I wonder, I, I wonder if renaming some of these awards. So the, the Larry O'Brien, I don't think that's going to change. They just named the finals MVP, the Bill Russell, you know, that, that happened a few years ago. I think that's good. Does, and I apologize for not knowing this. Does league MVP, does that trophy have a, have an honorific? Because I think a lot of people feel like Kobe should have won more than one league MVP. He only won the one naming that after him almost as a league. I do feel like there should be something done for Kobe. And I do feel like, 
we should maybe update some of these names to the more modernized NBA. But I don't know if the logo is what they're going to do with it. Yeah, I don't see it happening, but I look, I appreciate what Kyrie that Kyrie has a personality. I don't always agree with it, but that he does. He is a thinker. Um, sometimes he thinks too much. Sometimes he doesn't think enough. But, you know, that he was it's a nice gesture on his part. I, and Kyrie, it was if you remember after Kobe's passing, Kyrie took some time away and Kyrie was exceptionally close with Kobe. And I think Kyrie, we don't look at it because he's so much smaller, but he's modeled a lot of his game after Kobe, even though the games are different. Yeah, I listen, just because sometimes the people who have at times the worst ideas often are also the people that come up with some of the best ideas. And so I, I feel like this happens in television and radio production meetings a lot. The person that is most likely that when they throw something out there, you're going to be like, why do we let that guy talk? <laughs> is also a guy who about once a week, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. And I feel like, you know, Kyrie throws a lot out there. Some of it's a little wacky, but I think he was on to something here without a doubt. I think it was last February, Paulie did the research that uh, the All-Star MVP is named after Kobe Bryant. Right. They, they changed it last year, yeah. but that's also, that's like a third-tier award. I, 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 you know I what agree. I mean? I know. Do something. Name the scoring title after him? I don't know. Do something. <laughs> no, like Bradley Beal, come on down and receive the Kobe Bryant. Receive the score. Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I like it. Do you want in on the J.J. Watt? game that we we play we played it already where we think he's going to end up do you do you want to sure you yeah got i'll one, be in you got one pick i got one pick here we go hold on here we go here's here's the nick Wright. green bay green bay okay that's my pick going out on a limb there i don't know if it's a limb i just think green bay they have good cheese not good barbecue come come to kansas city for the barbecue jj stay for the championships that would be my recommendation well, you have lived in Houston, so you you are. Yeah, I lived there for four years and ate what they listen. Houston folks, I understand it's been tough times. I empathize with you immensely, but Texas barbecue is fraudulent and not. It's not like bad compared to its reputation. It's bad compared to food. It's just not good. It's the hottest take anyone's going to deliver all year. <laughs> Texas barbecue, not good. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. We appreciate your time Bye. as always. That's the popular Nick Wright, co-host of First Things First on Fox Sports 1. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I got some numbers here before I get to one of the great deep shooters in NBA history and Tim Legler on loan from the mothership. In the NBA this season, the overall three-point shooting percentage just under 37%. 31% of all made field goals are three-pointers. In college basketball, Division One, the overall three-point shooting percentage just under 34%. 29% of all made field goals are three-pointers. And I watch college basketball. It's tough to watch because there's no, you know, the player to watch in college basketball. There's a lot of talent, but, man... This is starting out in like fifth grade and sixth grade where everybody thinks they're a deep shooter. Everybody. And it's the Steph Curry effect. Steph Curry's probably had a bigger impact on the game than any other player in history. Because you want to be like Mike? Nobody could be like Mike. But it feels like everybody can try to be like Steph Curry. And as a result, you got guys shooting threes who have no business shooting threes. Tim Legler. Had uh, business shooting threes, and Legs joins us now. What advice would you give these shooters now, or maybe the coaches now, these kids who are coming up in grade school and high school that all think that's how you get to the next level uh, by being a three-point shooter? 
Yeah, Dan, that's that's a big challenge because you're, you're right. I mean, this is what the NBA looks like now. I think for me, and I was a three-point shooter. That's how I made my living. It's a little monotonous for me to watch basketball now because it seems like that's the intent of every possession, to get a three-point shot. And it was used a lot differently, obviously, when I played this different era. The problem is this is actually filtered all the way down to the youth level, certainly AAU level. Go watch an AAU tournament one weekend and sit there and, and you know watch six, eight games on the court in front of you, pull up a chair, and just take a look at what's going on. You're 100% right. There's a lot of guys taking that shot because they've been empowered to do it because people are telling everybody, the analytics say, that's the way to play basketball now. And there's too many guys, to me, that have the ultimate green light that don't deserve it. That, that's, that's what I see when I watch basketball now. But I was wondering about this with Magic Johnson. Magic couldn't shoot when he first came out of Michigan State. I mean, he could run an offense. He was great, wonderful passer. I wonder how the NBA would treat him if he was just coming out and he couldn't shoot the three or, you know, there's probably, you know, tens, 20, 30 players that you can think of that. How would we view them now if they were coming out? Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd couldn't shoot. He became a good three point shooter. But how do you think basketball would have treated, you know, legend Hall of Famers like that? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you're talking about guys now at the very top of the food chain. Right? So you're talking about magic, the most unique weapon in the history of the game at that position. Uh, six nine, powerful, playing downhill. Yet, you know, no three point shot. But I think people would look at him as a weapon that you can use to set up three point shooters if he was coming into the league now. Because when you combine, you know, th- his ability to rebound at that position, y- his ability to guard bigger guys, because the league now is set up that way that you want a four or five man that can switch out and guard guards. That's what he would be. Yeah, but Ben um, so Simmons is like that. But Ben find, Simmons legs. But Ben yeah, Simmons I, I, is a great defender. He can get to the hoop. He's a good passer. He just can't shoot deep. And yeah. you know, we go. How can he be an all star? So it's a very valid point, uh, as particularly when you look at Ben Simmons, because you look at him and people are still. And I'm I'm in the Philadelphia area still. I live here, so this is the team that I follow. That but most of my conversations with my friends and people around here are about the Sixers and specifically usually about Ben Simmons. I've kind of given up on that thought that AK is going to add this. It's just not going to happen. This is what he is. And we're always going to view him as a guy, as a result, that's lacking this one skill that a perimeter player needs in the NBA now, which is the ability to beat you from anywhere on the floor. Like you can't get the superstar status in today's game unless you have that. So I think that's a very valid point about magic. The one thing about magic that I will say, I think he's the type of guy that could probably add it, adapt to it a little bit better than Ben Simmons certainly has been willing to even compromise at all. I mean, he's actually regressed in terms of his willingness to look at that shot from 15 feet, much less the three-point line. Could you help Lonzo Ball? I'm not saying fix. Could you help Ben Simmons? Maybe not fix? No question in my mind. I, you know, and I know that these guys, they, they've spent money. The teams have spent money. All these guys now have shooting coaches they work out with in the summer. There's no question. I've done it. I've not done it with a, with a guy at that level in the NBA, but I've done it with countless players. And it's, it's a process that you go through. And I think there is just – if you can get a guy to focus on two or three things, and I think there's about maybe literally 10 to 12 things that I could talk about ad nauseum, what goes into it, the mechanics of it. But you can't overwhelm a guy because what's going to happen if you give someone too much, 
they're going to end up not having success early and they're going to go right back to their old habits because that's where they're comfortable. So you've got to break it down to two or three things. And each guy's different. It might be something different with that particular player. And I do think there's, there's a way to break through that barrier mentally um, and, and get them to buy into two or three things from a mechanic standpoint and help guys. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I can sit, look, it's the one thing I've been good at in my life is doing that. And I know how to teach it. I know how to communicate it in a way that maybe they've never heard before. So yeah, I'm confident that I could do something like that. And I was always taught that you start about three feet out from the basket, just underneath and get your form and then back up, make, you know, 10 in a row, make 10 in a row, 10 in a row, 10 in a row, get to the free throw line, make 10 in a row. And then you get to the top of the key. And, and, and that's the progression. Just get your form, get the feel, get the release, and then you can kind of build up your confidence. But, you know, you watch Lonzo Ball. He runs away from shooting free throws at the end of a game. He's got a wide-open three. I, how did he get to that point in his career? Well, I will give him credit because when he came into the league, I had never seen any player shoot a basketball the way that he did a right-handed player releasing the ball from his left eye socket. I had never seen anything like it. And as a result, he's a guy with great vision. He's a good defender. So he has all these skills that help you win. But that was a big problem. And I said, well, there's no way he can ever shoot a mid-range shot. How can you shoot a shot going to your right, your strong hand, have to stop and bring the ball back to the area where the defender is chasing you from? Can't happen. And as a result, he never really takes a mid-range shot. Now, I will give him credit. His, his stroke and release, it's night and day from when he came into the league. He's now at least a viable three-point shooter. He's a threat from out there, and you play against with Zion and Brandon Ingram. You're going to have to do it. He's at it. I give him a lot of credit. He put the work in. Very few guys that have had that much success to that point in their life would be willing to put the time in, and I think that's where Ben Simmons, I think you can absolutely critique him. It's not important enough to him. Um, so I will give Lonzo Ball credit that he's gotten it to that point. How he ever got a stroke that looked like that in the first place, that's, that's beyond me. I, I don't know how anybody along the way didn't stop that at a very young age and say, wait a second, what is this? You're the only person on earth who's ever shot a basketball that way. But Kevin Durant does start on the left side and brings it over. Now, it, it's, it's not as pronounced. It's not like a windshield wiper with Lonzo Ball. But, you know, Durant, I always tell people that, you know, like a golf swing. Don't look at everything until the point of impact. Right. Like, where are you with club and, and the ball? And it's the same thing when you shoot. However you get there, what does it look like when you end up releasing the shot? And, That's a great point. And Durant ends up in perfect position. He may not start, but he ends up in a perfect position. He absolutely does, and you're right. And, and guys are going to get it there differently. And also, I will say to some to younger players, those aren't necessarily the guys you want to emulate. Like, like for instance, Dirk Nowitzki is one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. I would never advise a player that I was working with to shoot the ball with a 24-foot arc. I mean, the, the distance that Dirk Nowitzki's ball travels from his fingertip to the rim may be the greatest of any player in history that was a good shooter. That means there's, there's far less margin for error because of the distance he's traveling. But he's a freak. Kevin Durant is a freak. So what you want to, what I want to try to do with guys is, look, regardless of what feels comfortable to you, how you're getting it up there, bottom line is by the time you get to just before release, it should look the same with everybody. 
if you are going to be a really good shooter. I think one of the things that I've noticed with players, uh, they have a really difficult time getting the ball to transfer from you know, their entire hand to their fingertips before the release. And that's a big problem that guys just never seem to be able to break through. They also have a hard time, Dan, having their wrist and elbow lock at exactly the same time. Some guys never get to full extension, like Zion Williamson would be a great example of that. Um, and he can make an occasional three. But can you imagine if he ever felt comfortable taking that shot with the amount of distance that people have to give him because he's so explosive? I don't know he's going to get there because he doesn't extend his left arm. Ben Simmons is the same way. Yeah. His wrist never makes it to this position. So there are little things. And look, part of it is the player. How much repetition are you willing to put into this? He's Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but we had Ray Allen in the studio. This was, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And Ray had the ball on the palm of his hand. He was just holding it, and I corrected him. I said, Ray. <laughs> and and his look, I don't know why I did it, Tim, but I did. Here's, here's maybe the greatest shooter, one of the greatest shooters. I mean, it's like critiquing Warren Buffett on investment fo- portfolio. <laughs> and I said, I said, Ray, you got the ball on your palm of your hand. And I was always taught you don't have the ball in the palm of your hand. Was I wrong right, to got- critique Ray Allen? Uh uh, no, no. In the context that that would be a great segment, I, that's that's hilarious. But a guy like that, like for me, he was the greatest shooter that I had ever seen for probably about a decade until Steph Curry came along. I mean, Steph Curry's taken the art of shooting to a level I'm not sure will ever be replicated. Honestly, he's he's a once in a lifetime player. He's and he's you know I do I do think this Dan I do think there's a generation of players that Steph Curry has helped, and I know. The concept of the game, maybe, and philosophically, offensively, it's hurt some levels and some teams and some players. It's also helped guys because there's a whole lot of kids out there that looked at a guy that's six foot four, slightly built, not a lot of muscle definition, and he simply made himself this good through skill repetition. Because I think Steph Curry might be the greatest combination of the three skill elements of the game pass, dribble, shoot that we've ever seen. I think he is the highest combination of those three things. And it was simply done through repetition and you don't, he didn't have to be a physical freak to do it. So I think that gives some kids actual hope and it makes them go work on their game a little bit harder, which is a good thing. Are you all in on the jazz as far as being an NBA title contender? 100%. This is, this is not something that's a great story or a great start. Um, I I've, I'm watching them deep dive every night again, last night, Perfect example. Here's what they do differently than anybody else. And I do compare them to the Warriors a little bit. Uh, when, when, it, when we first that splashed on the scene, we'd never really seen that kind of ball movement, player movement, quick, decisive reads and actions, and then ending up in the hands of a great shooter. Now, they don't have Steph and Clay on their team, but they've got a stable of guys that can do it, but the mentality is exactly the same. Everything is quick and decisive. It's all based off a high ball screen, a dive by Gobert favors, and now we're just going to get you to, to react to that. Because if you know they're going to score at the rim. And now we've got super high IQ players. The ball is going to start hopping around a perimeter. We're always going to make the extra pass. And you're not going to catch up to the basketball. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Because for me, that's what great offense looks like. I know we were talking about the three-point shot and the heavy reliance on it. Well, when you get looks that good, yeah. you should play that way. Because they're making 18 of these things a night. And you think about the Warriors, Dan, when, when Steph first splashed on the scene, we thought that was the greatest shooting team we'd ever seen. 
They were making 13 a night. This team is making 18 a game. Yeah. That's how different this is. So, yes. And the other thing is they defend. This isn't a one-trick pony where they've got to outscore you. They will defend on nights where they're not shooting well. And I think they're a legit title contender, absolutely. Would not be shocked to see them say, beat the Clippers in the second round if it ends up that way and end up with the Lakers in the conference final. Okay, talk uh, Laker fans off the ledge. Well, look, here's the thing. You have, obviously, you're missing AD and Schroeder. That's, that's enormous. But here's the other thing. They're a defending champion. Go back through history. Defending champions, you get to midseason, there's typically going to be a foot off the gas a little bit mentality because the, the freshness of the season is in your rearview mirror. And they were tired because they had a short turnaround, but the adrenaline of a new year gets you going. That's gone. The playoffs are too far away. It's cold as hell anywhere you go right now to play. That's a downer. The skies are gray. You're in a rut. You're also shorthanded. It's, it's the perfect time mentally for them to sort of be going through the motions a little bit. And that's what I see in this team. Um, there is absolutely nothing to worry about as long as Anthony Davis comes back healthy and stays back healthy. This team is going to the NBA finals. Um, uh, Utah might have something to say about that. So I'm not as definitive on that as I was before the year. I made a joke when they added Harold and Schroeder. Let's just make it a 10 game season and play the play the finals because nobody could beat that team. I don't feel as definitive about that now because of the jazz particularly, mm. but Still, if you've got AD and you've got that kind of versatility with LeBron and AD and they're so unique and the problems they cause for you on both ends, uh, for me, it's still the Lakers. So nothing to worry about. It's typical midseason doldrums for a defending champion that's shorthanded. Legs, great to catch up with you again. We appreciate your time as always. Always great, Dan. Talk to you soon. That's Tim Legler from the Mothership. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.